Welcome to a brand new season of Women We Watch in Tourism podcast series. We are thrilled to embark on this journey with you once again as we continue to amplify the voices of extraordinary women leaders and change makers in the global tourism industry. In this platform, we strive to create a space where women's accomplishments in the tourism industry are celebrated, uplifted and valued. Our mission is to shed light on the incredible contributions these women make, ensuring that their voices are heard and their stories shared. As we enter season 4, we are dedicating this chapter to honoring the remarkable women who advocate for sustainable and responsible tourism. These women are the unsung heroes of our industry, dedicating themselves to uplifting the incredible potential that tourism holds as a force for good. Throughout this season, we will delve into the stories of women who have embraced the principles of sustainability, cultural exchange, environmental stewardship and community empowerment. Join us as we celebrate these trailblazers' achievements and draw inspiration from their dedication to a more responsible and inclusive tourism industry. Get ready to learn to challenge your perspectives and to discover the endless possibilities that lie within the realm of sustainable and responsible tourism. Welcome to another inspiring episode of Women We Watch in Tourism. In today's episode, we have the privilege of featuring Vandana Vijay, an exceptional women leader who is revolutionizing the travel industry through her commitment to sustainability and rural community development. As we all know, tourism plays a significant role in shaping economies and cultural exchanges around the world. However, the growth of this industry has also brought forth environmental and social challenges that need to be addressed. Vandana Vijay, the founder and CEO of Offbeat Tracks, recognizes the urgent need for a more sustainable approach to tourism and the responsibility of leaders in driving positive change. Vandana's journey has been defined by her deep passion for sustainable tourism and her unwavering dedication to rural communities particularly those nestled in the Himalayan mountains she firmly believes that travel should not only offer unique and immersive experiences but also have an impact on the environment and empower local communities through offbeat tracks vandana has created over a thousand tours across multiple countries aligning her company's travel goals with the UN SDGs with a focus on affordable and clean energy decent work and economic growth responsible consumption and production Vandana's vision extends beyond mere travel experiences it encompasses a holistic approach that preserves the environment while fostering the growth and development of rural communities join us as we delve 
into Vandana's transformative work and discover how Vandana, thank you so much for joining us today on Women We Watch in Tourism Podcast. I've been looking forward to this conversation with you for a long, long, long time. In fact, I saved this podcast uh, season for you to begin. You're the very first guest on this particular season where we are focusing on sustainable tourism, rural tourism, community-based tourism, and it's an honor to have you here with us and uh, also you know finally after three years to see you in person in live in India during the ITV uh, trade show so thank you so much for being with us today and how are you feeling Vandana? Thank you Nisha for having me over I must say it's an absolute honor to be here and um, I was so excited to come here so um, you know thank you for making this happen and um, as you said, we met during the pandemic and then we've been in touch. I think both of us connect a lot in our share and our shared passion and vision and how we view tourism. And I also think we bonded over our love for Bhutan as a country. And um, it was lovely meeting you in person, uh, you know, just about a month ago in April in Mumbai. And I'm very excited to be here right now. <laughs> Thank you. And, you know, before we go to the professional conversation and the dimension of Vandana as a leader, as a, you know, travel company operator, I want to ask you something that been really been fascinated um, because I've seen your videos, I've seen your Facebook and LinkedIn posts and all, and you've always put up pictures of Megalia and you know and you've spoken so passionately about it being the Scotland of the East you know where it's so well known for its vibrant culture captivating landscape so tell us a little bit more about your love for Megalia and to our listeners what is so special about Megalia? So Meghalaya um, literally translated into English means um, abode of the clouds Nisha Megha is clouds in Hindi and Sanskrit. Mm -hmm. So Meghalaya translates to a board of the clouds. And that's pretty much what that state in India is. Uh, you know, it's, nest, it's uh, nestled in northeastern India. It's beautiful hills with rolling lush greenery. Um, it um, receives a lot of rainfall owing to the lot of clouds. In fact, and it boasts of a lot of world's first in terms of records. It's got Monsman Ram, which is supposed to be the rainiest and the wettest place on earth. Um, if you chart the geographical history of the earth, you know, they, it's divided into eras and epochs and ages. There is a particular age in the ge geological history of the earth, which is called the Meghalian age. Mm. And that's so because the rocks which were used to date the geological history of the earth to that age were discovered in Meghalaya. So that's the unique thing which the state has. The state also boasts to have the longest underground limestone cave network in the world. It's called the Krempuri Cave. They're over 22 kilometers long from end to end. And it took uh, the Spelankas over 10 years to discover the entire length of the cave. So it's a fascinating state in terms of every aspect. And I've just talked about the geography, but the people, they've got the multiple tribes, the Garos, the Khasis and the Jentias. Uh, each one of them having their own distinct language and culture and cuisine, but all of them kind of living together in harmony with each other. Um, Christianity has had a huge impact on the region and Shillong, which is the capital of the state of Meghalaya, uh, can be pretty much touted to be as the musical capital of India. 
everyone in the state is talented. They're playing a particular musical instrument or they're great vocalists. And um, the market has a bunch of bands and cafes. Um, it's just so much in that state. And that's just one state in this beautiful jewel that is India in itself. Mm. You know, uh, Vandana, because I, I can hear your passion, you know, I can really hear how much of commitment you have put into the sustainable development of Meghalaya, as well as many other parts of the rural hinterlands of India, you know. Share with me, when was that pivotal moment uh, that ignited your passion for sustainable tourism? and led you onto this extraordinary path and what was that initial um what was the initial thing that sparked your deep commitment to making positive impact on the environment as well as empowering these local communities vandana so um nisha i owe this to 2014 may um i was working with facebook back then mm-hmm. and i took two weeks off from work and i decided to volunteer with a non-profit in ladakh Now, for our international listeners, Ladakh is uh, the northernmost, one of the youngest union territories of India. It's a high-altitude cold desert located in the Trans Himalayas mm-hmm. with um, an average elevation of about 3,500 to 4,500 meters oh, above wow. sea level. Mm-hmm. So it's cold, it's harsh. Um, Ladakh is um, geographically uh, located in such a region that It's bound by high passes. In fact, Ladakh is called as the land of the high passes. There's a um, folklore which says that the land is so remote and harsh that only the best of friends or the worst of enemies would come and visit you in Ladakh. And uh, it gets cut off from the rest of the world for about six to eight months a year because of the passes being snowed out. So, so Ladakh, what you're saying is uh, only at about four months of the year five months of the year actually... is the road you can go by road otherwise you need to fly in and when, I, when you say fly in right. yes, okay. supplies like vegetables are being flown in so you'll find sacks of tomatoes and potatoes in the conveyor belts in the airport in the winter right and, and what made you want to volunteer there you know the first time I went to Ladakh was in 2010 and I, I somehow feel I very strongly feel and I say that I think that I've had some or a past life connection with Ladakh um The first time I set foot there and I made this silent wish to the universe that I hope I can get to do some work by which I can serve the people of Ladakh and that actually happens. Oh my, is that an intuitive feel within you? Yes. Yeah. And um, there's something which magically draws me to the land. Uh, the moment my plane touches down in Ladakh, it looks like someone shoved a hanger into my mouth because I'm grinning year to year. That's how excited I am to be there. <laughs> the landscape, the people, um, you know, just working with the rural communities as I was I was saying so 2014 I I wrote into a non-profit there telling them that I want to come and spend two weeks and I'd like to volunteer with them and what I would give them is back then Instagram was just about starting so I was telling them on how I can help you work on your Facebook and Instagram strategy by which you can get more traction and more donors and users from worldwide um, during those two weeks I spent a lot of time trekking to remote villages in Ladakh working with rural communities at the grassroots level, looking at indigenous ways by which they were solving for resources. Um, you know, Ladakh, being a high-altitude coal desert, water becomes a very limited resource. 
um, and um, you know they were using uh, indigenous methods like building um, artificial glaciers and ice stupas to solve for water. Solar energy is in abundance, so they were building greenhouses to grow vegetables in the harsh winter. They were using green, uh, solar energy to make trombe walls for heating of the homes. Mm. And I think it was that phase when I said that you know my true purpose and true calling would be working with people at the grassroots level. And when I viewed tourism, I was like, the real India is what you see here. Mm. And, you know, India is one of the most culturally diverse nations in the world, Nishar. You see a new culture, you see a new dialect, you see a new cuisine. But I said, what is tourism in India, mainstream tourism in India, restricting itself to? If you're looking at up north, you're doing the Golden Triangle, which is Delhi, the Taj Mahal in Agra and Jaipur, or people come down south to Kerala, or they go to Goa. Right. But there's so much more in India. And is the real India, which is the India of the villages, really getting to be seen and explored? Mm-hmm. And I guess it was those two weeks in 2014, which kind of, you know, sowed the seeds of inception for me, wherein I said that I want to work with these remote Himalayan mountain communities and create this platform where we could showcase their uniqueness and beauty to the world. Most parts of the world, uh, tourism operators know that when they want to make money, you tend to promote the the urban destinations or the more popular destinations, but very few people think of bringing tourists to the peripheral areas in a way it's so needed, it's so necessary. And uh, not only for, for for development or economic development, but again, these peripheral areas have got so much in terms of culture and, and experiences that they could open a different dimension to, you know, with respect to the destination, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think a whole new facet uh, which uh, comes into play and is exposed to the people is when you move out of the comforts of city-like confines and kind of get to explore uh, what lays beyond. That's right. And that's what it is, you know, moving outside your comfort zone as a tourism operator, as well as move get the tourists to move away from their comfort zone, you know, as a traveler, right? I, I think that would be so um, amazing, you know, for destinations to start opening up these peripheral areas. And you were, I think, a visionary, I would say, to be able to do that, you know. But I, I'm sure that as much as you enjoyed it, right, there were many challenges that you faced mm-hmm. in opening up rural tourism um, and, and getting these rural communities to commit themselves to tourism development. So share with us a little bit about what were some of your biggest challenges? Yeah, uh, a lot of them, Nisha, and I would say that um, I think that's that's part of the journey of entrepreneurship is that you're thrown up with new challenges almost every day. But, Certainly, uh, yeah. <laughs> To start with, um, just to give you a context, I think the communities that I work with, um, if you look at them geographically, they are across the Himalayan belt. And all of these are very remote, hard to access, with limited network and connectivity. Um, you know, the first time I started working with these communities were in, was in Ladakh in 2016. And I remember speaking to somebody there and them telling me that we have not had internet for the past five months. And um, I said, so then, well, that rules out email communication with you. And <laughs> WhatsApp was kind of coming in, but it was not as much as what it is today, where everybody owns a smartphone. Um, 
So connectivity was a big issue. Communication became an issue. A lot of parts we worked with, there would be political instability. You know, so suddenly um, there would be uh, sporadic violence which would break out in certain regions. Or I remember there was this once where um, I had uh, this guest who had to fly to Bhutan. And um, so they had to fly to this place called as um, New uh, Bagdogra, which is in northeastern India. That's right. And go to Bhutan by road. Uh, that morning, we hear that there's a statewide curfew which has been announced in Bagdogra and there could be no movement. So then overnight, we had to reroute him, fly him into another state in India and then kind of have him uh, reach Bhutan by road. So I think a lot of these challenges which are beyond our scope, you know, uh, beyond our control, have I have faced. But um, I think we've just thought, about, thought on our feet and been innovative and uh, worked around it. Mm. So besides, you know, internet uh, connectivity, um, what other uh, barriers, you know, by the rural community themselves did you encounter or did you encounter anything of that sort? Or were they very enthusiastic, uh, hungry to develop tourism? It's been a mix, Nisha. So if I look at northern rural communities like, say, uh, Ladakh or Himachal Pradesh, They've been very eager. They've been very proactive. In fact, uh, there's been a lot of enthusiasm which has come in from them. And we've told them that we want to set up homestays or we'd like you to work as experience providers. Mm. However, when I talk about Meghalaya as a state, uh, we met with a lot of hostility. I think um, there was this underlying fear that we are here to snatch away what is theirs. Okay. Um, so it was a very, um, this is mine and that is yours and you are an outsider kind of sentiment, which we had to deal with. So I, it took a lot of effort to kind of assuage their fears to tell them that we're not taking away what's yours, but we're just working as facilitators and enablers by which more people can come and admire and cherish what is yours. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was saying. India is so diverse and so heterogeneous that the same formula does not work everywhere. <laughs> Right. You look at very, very different behaviors and responses that you've got from different parts of the country. Um, Parts of the country which have seen more tourists and more mainstream people come in for a longer time were obviously much more welcoming to the idea. Um, I think the idea of having people come into villages or people come into homes of villagers, which are homestays, for some people, um, especially in the northeast of India, which is states like Meghalaya and so on, there was this notion that, you know, you're going to have people come in and they're going to get um, alcohol and drugs and uh, it's going to ruin the nature of the village. Um, so, you know, there were a lot of myths and misnomers which we had to work very hard to kind of convince them and tell them that that's not going to be the case. It's just going to benefit you. So I think uh, perception management and explaining to them that what this is, what is in it for them and how they're going to get benefit from it uh, was a big challenge we had to face. However, when they had their first set of guests come and they saw the kind of guests were coming in who were appreciating them, their way of life, um, it resulted in the villagers having a new sense of pride. I remember one of the villagers telling me that it was so fascinating for us uh, to see the things that we took for granted. We've had people from the other end of the world come in and appreciate and admire and it gives us a newfound sense of pride in what we do. Particularly rural tourism is led by women, you know, generally, whether it is homestays or whether it's community-based tourism, women seems to dominate uh, the, the type of tourism, right? Uh, what, what were some of the uh, 
barriers or impediments that women themselves face, mm-hmm. you know, to be actively involved in tourism or to lead the rural tourism, um, you know, their own destinations. Yeah. Some of the barriers the women faced was that although they were the facilitators, they weren't being part of the decision-making process. Also, um, lack of access to technology, uh, which made them dependent on a male member at home. So something as simple as a mobile phone, right? On which you take your booking. Normally, there'd be one mobile phone at home and that would probably be with the man of the family. So just that lack of access to technology where you can connect with them and communicate with them, although they, the women are on the ground facilitating and enabling, but they're not at the helm of the decision-making process. Right. And why do you think that they are not at the helm of you know, decision-making? Uh, it's just because I think, um, when I, if I'm looking at the tech example, uh, basically I think there's just lack of digital penetration at that point of time in the country where uh, a mobile phone was still aspirational and then maybe the family would have a mobile phone and then by default the senior most member, which would be the patriarch of the family, would own the phone. Um, also, um, in a lot of um, societies in India, it's very different in the Northeast, but I'm talking about otherwise Northern India and the rest of the country. Uh, financial powers are also controlled by the man. So although the woman is doing the work, the money would be controlled by the man of the home. Mm-hmm. So to kind of change that mindset and tell them. But we started working with a lot of women individually who probably had lost their spouses and things like that and telling them that this could supplement your income, this could be an additional source of income to you. Um, and that really encouraged them. Also, you know, Nisha, I think it's such a generational thing in our society where women, mm-hmm. um, although do such a majority of work, in fact, you look at Northeastern India, um, women are at the forefront of everything. You know, you'll have them working on the fields, demanding the shops, they're doing all the activities. But um, somehow there is this limiting belief that you need a man to compute you. Right. And, yeah. So it's a very much a cultural belief. It becomes a structural belief too, yeah? Absolutely. And I mean, there's only so much you could do to bring about that change, but it'll take generations of hard work to undo the generations of damage which have already taken place. Right. And tell me a little bit about, you know, from all the work that you have done of the tracks has done what kind of impacts have you seen mm-hmm. through your work mm-hmm. mm. uh, a couple of things nisha so uh, one is uh, so as a company we have picked three un sdgs mm. and um all our tours that we operate we kind of fulfill some one of these sdgs if not more so that is un sdg 7 8 okay. and 12 yes seven is energy clean energy access to all uh-huh. eight is decent work and growth and 12 is a proper usage of resources. Now, mm-hmm. uh, one of the impact expeditions I did in 2017 was we had 14 participants come down from the US mm-hmm. and we went into a remote village in Ladakh and we solar electrified 10 homes that were completely off the grid. So we brought in clean energy to these people. These people were traditionally relying on firewood, kerosene, and coal for their light and heat. Um, so what happened with that is They'd spend all their summer just hunting for firewood for the winter, which they have to stock. Also, um, they're not clean sources of energy. So carbon monoxide poisoning, bronchitis, were illnesses which really affected the elderly and the children. So just providing these homes. And it was simple solar panels which we put in on each home with an LED strip inside with um, two USB chargers for their mobile phone. So simple setup. But it just brought this joy of light to all the homes. It was such a lovely... Um, 
impactful ex- expedition that I had. Um, we worked with a lot of women entrepreneurs, um, helped them set up homestays in remote regions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also facilitated them becoming experienced curators. That meaning something as simple as you're going to the home of a local family in the village and having a sit-down meal with them. Uh, she'll probably teach you how to make their local food or she'll take you for a little village walk. Um, so I think what happens with every tour you take with our feed tracks, uh, 15 to 25% of the money which is paid mm-hmm. for the tour, 15 to 25% of those proceeds go towards these rural service providers because these experiences are interwoven to all the itineraries that we curate. So right. if you're doing Ladakh with us, you'd be doing a day at the village with, you know, you'll spend a day at the village. Now, every service provider in that village is going to benefit from that. Or say you're doing a trek with us. The trek operator is going to be a local. What he's going to do is he's going to employ a local cook. He's going to employ a local porter. He's going to employ a local guide. So every time you're, you know, doing, booking a tour with us, you are helping bring about revenue in a decentralized fashion into any of those rural communities that you are visiting. Um, another very heart-wrenching story, uh, which I recently did, was one of our homestay hosts um, in a village called Is Likir. Um, it's, about, it's a high-altitude village in the dark, and she just set up a homestay about a year ago. And going to the winter, she's probably just had about six months, a year and a half ago was the homestay, six months of a working period. And she very proudly told me that in those six months, she's been able to uh, you know, make one lakh rupees for herself living in the wow. village. Also, it's so inspiring, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, so it heartening, so inspiring to hear that. And she was also so proudly saying that the guests come in. So she kind of heads the homestay association there. So whenever the inquiry comes in, she decides which house gets to host the guests. She takes our guests on walks. She has created a women's cooperative in the village where guests go for pottery wow. sessions. Um, so she's been quite a flag bearer. It was just so heart rendering to know that, you know, um, she's making good money out of this because at the end of the day, um, that's what we wanted. We wanted to create a network of rural entrepreneurs in the space of uh, community-based travel. And it's uh, I'm very proud to know that. I've been doing it at the rural and urban space. Amazing. You know, I was just listening to a talk today and the gentleman uh, is an inspirational speaker and he says, you know, very often we come to this world thinking that we are consumers, you know, we want to consume houses, cars, travel, tours, food. We are forever consuming, but actually, you know, how many of us can actually realize that we are not consumers sent to this earth, but we are creators? You know, what can we create with the gifts that the universe has blessed us with, you know, what can we create in this world that makes it a better place than we have arrived? So I I thought it was amazing. And just listening to you, I could see that you are a channeler, you are a creator, you know, for these communities, you know, beautiful. I know, in fact, I remember somebody talking about this saying that in today's market of everyone talking about valuation, they said, you know, business and entrepreneurship is about value creation and not valuation. <laughs> That's beautiful, isn't it? So if, if let's say, um, you know, into this platform, you, what, what do you want to say to the, the wider uh, tourism community or to the wider uh, group of travelers in the world? What would you want them to do to support rural tourism development or rural um, yeah, rural communities or your cause? I think 
there are multiple ways um Nisha, with which you can do this it could be something as simple as when you're shopping on your travels try and shop local try and understand the story behind which um you know your souvenir is coming in in a lot of cases there's a, a local rural artisan who would be the brain behind it or the hands behind creation of that souvenir or uh, if you want to take it up a notch when you're tra- traveling um try and make the travel a little more immersive you know a lot of people think travel is maybe just to a resort but uh you can probably step out of that for a day and get to meet the real community behind it meet the real faces behind the region that you're traveling it gives you a much more immersive insight into what the place is all about and what are the things you could see um and um, also a lot of people associate sustainable travel or community based travel as something which only luxury can do you know they this is association that only if you it was super luxurious trip you could have all of this but i just say that um you can give back to the community without that also it doesn't have to be luxury any form of travel can have a component of it which could give back to the community either urban or rural mm. it's just that um work with tour operators who are conscious about this and tell you that you know this is how it's happening it'll be very nice and a lot of times our guests would like to go and meet the communities and we can facilitate that also so i think it's just um to spread that awareness that their conscious travel and community based sustainable travel has to become mainstream Mm. and it's it's uh, the on a positive note what we are seeing is a rise of the immersive traveler the the Absolutely. conscious traveler today who is mindful about the impact that they are making on destinations in fact today we are talking about regenerative tourism like how can we leave a place better than what it was before we entered Exactly. You know? So I think it's it's uh, your time now <laughs> you know, because you have travelers who know what you're talking about, you know. This is the right time for the right message to Absolutely. get across, you know. Also I just feel currently we have so many mediums by which visual and auditory that we can pass this message and um the network of the evolved traveler, the conscious traveler is a growing network. I think it's a it's a wave which is rising and will rise high. and i'm very very glad that the current new generation is really looking at how they can be conscious travelers and they can give back to the community vandana i i've seen you you go on adventure i've seen you cycling <laughs> and and you know you're leading off beat tracks to places that are off the beaten tracks you know and um besides that i i see you you know giving um leading panel discussions and you've been a TEDx speaker as well to inspire women right to break through glass ceilings and to challenge the status quo so tell me a little bit about what advice would you give women who aspire to lead and make a difference in the tourism sector in the way that you did be relentless mm. i think um you know everyone talks about unicorns in the startup space i think the key is to be a cockroach You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be persistent. You need to be res- relentless. You need to be resilient. Um, you have a lot of naysayers, uh, but that's okay. I feel, um, you know, as a woman, I think we need to play play to a few strengths which we women innately and intrinsically have. I think as a woman, the sense of community, the sense of bringing everybody together and growing right. together, comes very naturally to us. Mm-hmm. So I think. as someone who wants to a uh, woman leader in the travel space 
Travel is all about people and connections and community and getting people together. Absolutely. Play to that strength. That just comes so naturally to us. So play to that. Get communities together. Get people. I think we as women, are our emotional quotients are so much more higher. So we can perceive things. We can empathize a lot faster. So I think we can play to our strengths. Um, and I tell this to everybody, I said, pick small. Start with a small challenge. Start with a small problem that you see yourself or you face yourself. And you will understand that there are a whole bunch of other people probably facing a similar problem and look at working a solution towards that and that will grow on into an idea and can snowball into something really big. Sometimes I have experienced it before. We are in a male-dominated society sometimes and also in industry. Yes. Have you faced personally, have you faced such discrimination and challenges uh-huh. as a women leader in this industry and perhaps even in a destination like India? Honestly, no. I've been very, very fortunate that I haven't faced any sort of discrimination um, in the industry. Certain mm-hmm. places it could be challenging operating. I remember one of these instances in New Delhi, um, where I was flying my solar equipment to Ladakh for the project, and the airlines refused me to fly my equipment the last moment. So I was running from pillar to post to figure out how to get my equipment to Ladakh. Mm-hmm. And uh, I happened to go to the cargo terminal of mm-hmm. the airport. Uh, I felt like they'd never seen a woman there before. (laughs) (laughs) The stares that I received, and I think that was one of those awkward situations where you felt that they'd probably take you a little more seriously if there was a man with you. Mm -hmm. But other than that, when I work, um, and it's so heartening because I work with so many remote village communities um, where, interestingly, you're seeing a lot of women in leadership roles there at the village electoral system. Um, also the men, um, I work with a lot of them and they've been very respectful, very forthcoming, very nice. So I think it's so nice to hear, isn't it? You know, yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, women see that as a barrier or maybe it's something that you imagine it to be, you know, but from what you say, it's it's really heartening to hear that you didn't face. And sometimes that. I also think, Nisha, the woman you have, in, it, they kind of will let you get get away with things also because like oh she's the woman it's okay let it pass so you can say that also to your mm, students, but it's mm, mm, mm. <laughs> maybe <laughs> right thanks thanks uh for for some for saying something so inspiring you know because uh i think this is what many of us need to hear that that we can navigate these challenges you know and sometimes it's your self-confidence to be able to be assertive sometimes Absolutely. Spot yeah. on. I think sometimes there are a lot of limiting beliefs that we have, right. um, which um, will be dispelled and disproved when you're out there. I think the key is to just take that first step, get down there, get your hands dirty. And, uh, you know, I think we're just so resilient in ourselves as women. Uh, I think that's one of our superpowers. We just know how to get it done. We can multitask, we can hustle. Right, right. And and uh, Vandana, if there's one word to describe you mm-hmm. as, a, as a leader, what would that be? I think, um, can I give you a phrase? It's a word. Sure. <laughs> sure. I think I'm, I'm a leader who believes in, uh, you know, having the community grow with me together. Mm. It's not just me, but I want everybody to grow along with me. Wow. Mm. And that's not only for my immediate team and my employees, but for every community and every um, stakeholder that I work with. I keep telling them that our growth will only happen with your growth. 
And uh, today, if we grow, we owe it to you. So I think just, you know, bringing that community together and having everybody grow with me, that is my idea of success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and uh, isn't that exactly what the these Africans say in terms of Ubuntu? It's true in the work that you are doing. You know, I could see that you have such infectious energy to bring people together, you know, and um, to share your passion and your commitment to bringing the greater good. And that's that's really, really amazing. Thank you, Nisha. That's so sweet of you. That's so kind of you to say. Thank, Thank you. Vandana, share a little bit, you know, in this podcast, right, which we call Women We Watch in Tourism, mm-hmm. uh, we want to share the lived experiences and narratives of women leaders who are sources of inspiration to us, right? So, mm-hmm. If I were to ask you, you know, um, there's so many people who would say Vandana is my inspiration, you know, and there are women <laughs> that I watch, you know, and you're definitely one of those that I watch too. So who is the one woman that you watch who is an inspiration to Vandana? You know, um, Nisha, I started my career in corporate in Facebook. Mm. And um, I spent three years in corporate in Facebook. And then after that, um uh, to start off with tracks. But back then, uh, Facebook India had this head, this lady called Iskitika Reddy. And uh, she then went on to move to the main headquarters and now she's with SoftBank. And of she, I remember the first time she walked into the room and um, she was so impressive. Um, she was warm. She was genial. We were a whole bunch of employees there and, you know, she was someone who was so higher up. What really touched me about the fact is that she knew all of us by name, Nisha. There was that personal connect because when I met her in San Francisco three years later, mm-hmm. she walked up to me and she said, Vandana, how are you? Congratulations on the promotion. And uh, I think just looking at her, the way she led Facebook, the way she treated all her employees and teams with such respect, but not losing sight of her focus and vision. She's one of these women um, whom I had the fortune of working with early in my career and I really look up to. Mm. And do you see traces of her qualities in you? Uh, probably, yes. I think in my style of leadership, <laughs> well, um, having that personal connection, going a little beyond just keep it professional, but doing little check-ins, like, you know, I speak to my vendors and figure out how's their family, how their kids. Um, I remember going to one of my vendors' uh, niece's weddings when I was there in the mountains, and they were just so overjoyed to just have me there with them for the wedding. So I think <laughs> that personal connect is um, at the end of the day. I think all of us as human beings are looking for that personal connect. Absolutely. And I very proudly say now that I have family in every village in the mountains. Oh, that's so sweet, isn't it? <laughs> and that's a beauty, you know. That I've always noticed that you don't get that sort of connection. Very often when we go to urban centers, but every time I travel to, you know, a community-based tourism experience or I go and stay in a cottage uh, or a village, you know, I get that that really close connection, like almost like a family, you know, and I get that in Bhutan, for example. And every yeah. time I leave Bhutan, I, I feel like like I'm going to cry. <laughs> I, I remember you telling me this, the, you know, when you were in Mumbai together and how uh, your heart is, you know, you're, you're just so, your heart's so overwhelmed when you have to leave Bhutan. And to this, I want to tell you a very interesting anecdote, uh, Nisha. Mm-hmm. You know, 2017, when I had a group of 14 people come from the Bay Area, um, these were, you know, highly successful people from the Bay Area with, you know, first of all, with all the material resources. And they came into this remote village in Ladakh where they had electricity. 
Mm. Language was a barrier, you know. In fact, it was so sweet that the children of each household uh, were working as translators to kind of bridge that conversational gap between the guests and the right. boss. Um, but what was lovely is after those five days when we had to leave the village, the village and all the guests were in tears. Oh my God. It was such a touching moment. Everybody yeah, I got my goosebumps up now. <laughs> it was beautiful because uh, I think what was so um, heart-wrenching for the people in the U.S. was that, um, you know, we come from a land of abundance. You know, American culture thrives on wastage and uh, just excessive abundance. And they, talk, and they were so amazed to see how people with such limited resources are able to live right. such happy lives. I think that's our perspective, you know, we, we could have abundance in terms of materials, you know, but I've always the abundance of love in these societies that we think there's scarcity, you know, but no, they've got so much of the abundance mindset. You know, we may have an abundance of material, but our mindset is a scarcity mindset, but they have the abundance mindset, you know, which to me, again, it's, it's, it's so, uh, overwhelming very often beautiful so that's yeah. what i remember you know um that impact which they had and the way the village went above and beyond um we had this one lady in the group who was about 65 she'd come from hippie hip replacement surgery but she said she wants to do the trek and go for the installation and one of the monks was accompanying her and there were these streams which we had to cross he physically carried her on his back to help across the stream you know, oh, wow. coming back to the abundance mindset and just uh, the amount of abundance and love that these villagers show in their hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, it mm-hmm. was, I mean, it was a sad, but it was such a beautiful moment to capture where all of us were in tears, having just spent five days together. Wow, oh, my God. <laughs> wow, you know, thanks, Vandana. This is like, you know, the closing of our this particular episode, you say some really, really very inspiring thing, but at the same time, I get goosebumps just listening to what you're saying. But I think that's what keeps you going. You know, that's what is your calling, your passion. And it's there every time I speak to you, you know, like when when we were recently in India, right? I watched you when we were having our chat, when we were sailing. I can (laughs) see that passion when you speak, regardless, you know, of the challenges that you've also spoken about. But I could always hear that thread of passion that that joy that you have when you do what you do, you know, and um, certainly this one episode is not enough for our our listeners to know how much you have been doing, but it's a sneak preview to Vandana and the amazing work that you and Offbeat Tracks, you know, are doing to shape the world of tourism, you know. Yeah. And tell us, you know, what is this one takeaway that you want our listeners to get from our conversation today on this episode? Uh, keep traveling keep being curious and keep exploring and don't let your limiting beliefs um, you know not let your wings soar out and fly beautiful gems gems <laughs> so share uh, with our listeners how they could connect with you I mean I'm sure maybe you know we have some listeners who really want to reach out to you to see what they could do to develop uh, rural tourism or market rural tourism so Share with us, how can they connect with you? Absolutely. I'm very active on social media, um, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, Reach out to me directly or you could drop me an email. Um, I could share my email address uh, with you, Nisha, which we could share with our users. We'll put that on the show notes. Yeah. Yes. 
Uh, I think uh, otherwise just LinkedIn and Instagram are probably the fastest ways to reach out to me. Will do. And lovely talking to you today, as always, as always, whether it is offline or face-to-face, online or face-to-face, but, uh, and I'm looking forward to the next time I'm going to see you and I've I reckon it's going to be really soon in this side of the world. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's what we've planned. We should get working on that plan. I'm really looking forward to seeing we you. Should. And I think you are one of the, the blessings that came to me during the COVID. I uh, When the world <laughs> shut down, you know, and we met via LinkedIn and you grew uh, as part of my network and the interesting work that had happened as a result of that. So thank you once again for being that blessing to my life as well as the the communities in the rural and parts of India. Thank you. I must say the same to you. Thank you. I mean, you came in as an angel, I think, to my life when we connected in 2020. And uh, I absolutely love what you're doing. You're such an inspirational woman. I think one of those women I really look up to. And it was an absolute pleasure meeting you in person and looking forward to many more interactions. Thank you for joining us today on this extraordinary episode of Women We Watch in Tourism. Today, we had the honour of interviewing another inspiring women leader in the field of tourism. Our guest today has exemplified the true essence of female leadership in the world of tourism. Her dedication, passion and unwavering commitment have not only earned her recognition, but have also created a lasting impact on those she has touched. She has demonstrated that leadership knows no boundaries and that women have an indispensable role to play in shaping the future of tourism. As we wrap up this episode, let us carry forward the lessons we have learned today. Let us continue to champion and celebrate women leaders. Let us recognize that successes are not just individual triumphs, but stepping stones towards a more inclusive and sustainable future for the entire industry. I'm Nisha, your host, signing off from Women We Watch in Tourism podcast series. Until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and keep celebrating the women who are shaping the world of tourism. Goodbye.